Welcome to Rawsome Parenting. It's Kathy and Lynn. This is a platform where parents can offload and say anything anonymously. If you have a story, we want to hear from you. Because parenting is raw, it's awesome, it's Rawsome. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Rawsome Parenting. Today is uh, kind of exciting. We've got a special guest here to help us out because uh, it's definitely not my area of expertise and So we decided to ask Jessica Rose Johnson. She's from Oklahoma, and her business is Rosebud Consulting. So before we get into it, how are you guys doing today? Awesome. Great, great. That's great. Yeah. How's the weather in Oklahoma? It changes every day, so it's been uh, mild today, so pretty good. Mild kind of summarizes Vancouver in general. Yeah. So where we live is on the west coast of Canada, and it's always just either raining or gloomy. And it can change pretty quick because earlier it was drizzling and now it's like yeah. bright and sunny here where I am. <laughs> All right. So this is a, a deep letter. Lynn, why don't you go and share that with our listeners today? Well, before I do that, I, I'll, I'll say the title of it. And this will kind of probably give our listeners a little bit insight as to why we have Jessica Rose on as a guest today. So the title of yes. the letter is, How Can I Stop My Daughter From Cutting Herself? And so Jessica Rose... Uh, she's a Marine Corps veteran, and she also has her own consulting business, counseling business. So you have been in the field of prevention for over five years. You have experience with suicide intervention, opioid overdose, and homelessness. And that is a long list of (laughs) really depressing things, right? (laughs) But also really exciting Because it goes hand in hand with all of the really prevalent issues that parents are facing today with their children. Definitely. I mean, in the the world we're living in now, we're being forced to stay home more, which brings up so many different topics. But, you know, everything ties in together. If we're not taking care of our brains, uh, our lives can fall apart very, very easily. Right, absolutely. And and you do work with um, the idea of brain health, which I love. I love that phrase, by the way, so much better than mental health. Thanks. Yeah, a lot of times when you talk about mental health, there's still a stigma. There's a stigma, no matter how you talk about it. But if we talk about our brain health, it's just like exercising. When we go to the gym, our brain health, it's, it's an organ. We got to take care of it. Like we're supposed to take care of our guts with what we put into our bodies. So uh, just like that, if you eat some bad food, your stomach's like, whoa, I'm not okay with this. If you're putting in bad content into your brain, your body's going to react and say, whoa, I'm not okay with this. Yeah, that's such a great way to look at that, actually. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree with that. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. So, uh, like I said, I'm a Marine Corps veteran. I married a Navy veteran, and he came with a son. So I have a 15-year-old stepson living that stepmom life. And uh, we have a really busy house. My father-in-law lives with us, and we have two dogs and a cat. So, (laughs) um, A super full house. (laughs) Yeah. Constantly cleaning. Uh, And I joke in my free time, I don't have any because I can't sit still. So... I also help coach baseball. I'm a rowing coach for a veterans program here in the United States. And I just, I love to stay busy and I love to be around people. Holy moly. I thought Kathy had a lot going on. She's got, I think you can give her a run for her money. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's amazing. You uh, beat me to the punch, I think. (laughs) That's insane. (laughs) Of being busy. How to be successful. Let's let's jam pack our schedules every day. Right? (laughs) Exactly. 
Well, thank you so much, Jessica Rose, for coming on with us today. I know that your time is valuable based on all of the things that you're, you've got on your plate. So really honored to have you on here just to sort of sift through this next letter here. I think it's a really big subject and something that's going to be helpful to parents who have adolescent children. Um, and yeah, we'll dive right into the letter and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about it afterwards. I will read the letter. <laughs> How can I stop my daughter from cutting herself? I recently saw a bunch of scars on my daughter's arms and legs and learned that she has been cutting herself for the past two years. She tells me she's fine and acts like it's no big deal, which makes me furious. She's a beautiful girl and now she has these tracks revealing that she has serious mental health issues. Every time I see the scars, it makes me sick to my stomach that any person I know could hurt themselves like that. Now that she knows that I know what she's been doing, she doesn't even hide it anymore. She wears tank tops and shorts around the house, and I can't even stand to look at her. I've asked her to cover herself up many times around me and explained that it hurts me to see what she's done to her body. She doesn't seem to care about me or herself because she becomes defiant and cuts herself even more. I've tried to dispose of all the razors in the house, and she continues to find new ways to self-harm. I love my daughter more than anyone else in this world, and I just want to help her. This type of behavior can't be normal or healthy. I don't know where she learned it from, so I really don't know how to fix it. How can I stop my daughter from cutting herself? So now you can see why we've asked you on here. Yes, and definitely for, for two years. Wow, you can you can hear that there's a lot of pain and hurt from both parties involved. So both the writer as a parent and the daughter. And when when people experience pain, they experience hurt, they they act out differently. Sometimes people will act out in anger. Sometimes people act out in sadness. And it also affects how we receive that from others and how we treat others. So sometimes in situations, all we want to do is be a fixer, which oftentimes can make us angry, make us very frustrated. But what's really needed is just some validation. Yeah, I love the words that you just used, fixer and validation. Those two are so different. And they often clash, don't they? I find that sometimes when a person goes into a situation, they think they need to fix everything. And that's very normal for a caregiver or helper to want to do. And yet, all we need to do sometimes is just to acknowledge what's going on for this particular person. So those are really, really powerful words that you brought up. I'm curious more about the validation. I I wonder what kind of validation you think this particular daughter needs from her parent. It's hard to say, right? I um, knew someone, a colleague of mine back in the day, and when she got comfortable enough to share with me what was happening with her and what was going on in the house, she had shared with me that she had been cutting because I saw her scars and it took me a while to even ask her about it. And finally, I got the courage to ask her and she felt comfortable enough to share. She revealed that she had been sexually abused by someone close in her family And instead of hurting people around her by sharing her experience, perhaps, she'd cut herself. And so that physical pain took away how she was actually feeling in that moment. So you just saw these little marks all over her arms. And I just felt really sad to see it, even just as like a colleague and a friend. So this is not my area of expertise, but that's basically what she had said. So if that could be a perspective for this writer here that she might be dealing with something deeper that she doesn't want to feel. And that's why she may be perhaps cutting herself because that's what my, my colleague had been doing. Yeah. I think, I think the idea of relieving internal pain externally makes sense to me 
because there's there's parts of ourselves that go through a lot of pain and agony that we can't touch, like a heartbreak. You can't touch it. You can feel it deeply, but you can't see it and you can't touch it, right? So, you know, people will do things externally just to create some kind of tangible experience that they can relate to what what's going on inside. It was just really hard for her because she had mentioned that it was her stepfather. So for her to go and tell her mom, it was going to hurt her too because she didn't want, she knew how much she had loved her new husband. They were best friends and for her to reveal that to her mom, it could potentially break up this marriage. So there was a lot on her plate, right? And we were probably 18, 19. That's, that's a big thing to really take into consideration because that draws me to the second paragraph of the letter where the dad really, f- sorry, not the dad, the writer really fixates on what the daughter is doing. It, it almost sounds like they think she is flaunting herself right? Where she just wears tank tops and shorts around the house and uh, the parent can't even stand to look at her as asked her to cover herself up many times. So when when I read that and I hear what you're saying with regards to sort of just like keeping things inside, right? My experience around having like any secret in general is that while the parent might think that she's just she doesn't care anymore like she doesn't care about herself she doesn't care about the parent and she's just sort of flaunting whatever I wonder if it's more about just finding relief in not having to hold a secret anymore right whatever it is that she's been carrying that's so heavy you have a colleague that's kind of gone through something like that there there is a really big secret that they've been keeping for so long and finally it's like you know what it's out in the open now. Like, my parent has seen these cuts. They know what I'm doing. They've seen the severity of it. And so, good. I don't have to keep the secret anymore. I can just finally live my life and I can be out there and I can at least be relieved by the idea that I don't have to carry around the burden of hiding this from somebody that I that I do love and that I do care about. Because ultimately, I think there is something to be said about people wanting to protect their loved ones and it doesn't just go one way it doesn't go from the top down always a lot of the times children are trying to protect their families and their parents and they're always stepping into the role of responsibility whether or not we're aware of it right and oftentimes we see it when there's some type of abuse between siblings they don't want to have the other sibling taken away because that could create a more painful experience than the initial trauma that was experienced. So oftentimes when we're keeping secrets from family members, it's even sometimes to protect the person who's hurt us. And I think that that's really important to remember too. I mean, the writer doesn't mention if there's another parent or other siblings. So we don't really know what the family dynamics are. We don't know what other conversations they have had. um, But what it does seem clear is that both parties are hurting And even though she now has a sense or we're kind of like assuming like the sense of like relief, like, okay, well, somebody knows about this. I don't have to worry and stress about covering it up because now it's known. There's still a part that uh, she's seeking attention and not in a a bad sense. It's that a, a human sense, right? We, we all need attention. We all need love. So there's something that she is, she is seeking and needing right now that she's, she's not getting. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I don't want, it does sound like that this girl's trying to get attention in a right or wrong way. I I think that 
has its misconceptions too, that they're, you know, one's feeling this way or one's feeling that way and there's a right or wrong to it. Because for me, there's no such thing as right or wrong when it comes to needing attention or needing love, exactly what you said. So I echo that. And as you said something earlier, just like sank, it made my heart just heavy instantly as I heard you say that she could potentially be protecting the person, the perpetrator. Yeah, that was heavy for me. Yeah, you know, for myself, I know what it's like to carry the burden of, burden of a secret to protect somebody that I love. And I also know what it's like to carry a secret to protect the perpetrator. Because ultimately, if the perpetrator gets hurt, it has to be hurt by somebody that I love. And then the words taken away resonate so deeply with me. Because I think, okay, how big can this get? How far can this go? And at the end of the day, who really loses? And does there need to be more loss? And I think that we might be going on a tangent a bit in the way that we don't actually know what the daughter is going through in for, in this particular letter. We don't know if it's related to abuse. We don't know what it's related to. What we can assume, though, is what Jessica Rose said, there's a lot of pain. And so she is she needs attention right she's wanting attention the other thing that i would really encourage the parent uh, or the writer to ask and to find out is what are some other core needs that their daughter might be needing you know what are the what are the root causes of what's going on because oftentimes i say this a lot what we see outside is the symptom you know, it's not, it's not the problem. So we need to get to the root of it. We're being, we're fixating on the things that have, that are out here that are signaling to us to say, there is a problem. This isn't it. <clears throat> Don't fixate on this. Go deeper. Let's go and figure out what the root of this issue is. So what is the root of this daughter's need to self-harm, need to continuously cut herself? I, I would be really curious to know more about that. I think the big thing is, is that uh, the writer expressed, you know, try talking to my daughter. She says she's fine. Then it's getting her to talk to somebody, anybody. And like Kathy had shared in her story, you know, that was, that was a colleague, someone that um, she felt comfortable talking with about her situation. And, you know, when, when we're in pain and almost all pain can be contributed back to a loss. So uh, a loss of a loved one, a loss of self, a loss of identity or innocence. So that there's there's definitely a lot of pain here and some major potential for a serious loss and with all that comes in the shame factor and when when we talk about shame sometimes we don't want to talk about our experiences because then we get labeled with that experience you know there's there's a lot of movements out there um where you know oh i've lived through this experience and people say oh now you're you're that experience and that's not what people need they just need to be validated they need to be heard they need to be loved and with both the people involved in the situation going through so much pain you know like kathy mentioned in her story earlier she's got so much pain on the inside that she is acting out having that pain on the outside to try and control whatever is going on on the inside and with this going on for two years it's definitely got to be something very deep yeah and my my biggest takeaway i echo exactly what lynn said is is go deeper because usually there is a root cause to it. We, we just don't know how to dig deeper, if, if that's the case. Um, reach out to somebody like yourself, Jessica Rose. Yeah, I also feel like before we even come to a close with all of this, there's a couple of really important things to, 
to address because let's go let's go back a little bit further. You use the word shame, Jessica Rose, <clears throat> and I think that it comes up a lot for this particular girl, the daughter, in this letter. Yeah, first of all, the idea of having self harmed. I don't know anyone who's proud of it. To be honest, I've come across quite a few people who have self harmed, and. For the most part, there's no, there's nothing to be proud of for them when it comes to something like that because the scars reveal their pain. And who wants to present themselves as somebody who's just always in pain, who's a ball of pain? Nobody wants to do that. So the idea that she's kind of stepped forward and、um, ha- has been witnessed in her pain via the scars from this parent, only to be further shamed, begs the question. Of because there's a line where the writer says she doesn't seem to care about herself,、uh, me or herself, because she becomes defiant and cuts herself even more. And I I really want to address this because if the writer is listening, I would really urge them to exercise something more along the lines of something what I call radical curiosity. Right? It's not helpful to. Further shame somebody who's already in pain. It's like they're they're already down, and then you're kicking them. And I'm not blaming the parent or the writer for doing anything wrong. I'm just saying that it's normal, like you said, Jessica Rose, to be in your own pain and not see somebody else's and not know how to support them in resolving it. However, when we start making our own pain, like somebody else's pain about us, it really puts them into a spiral of further shame. Because if this daughter was in fact trying to protect, you know, the parent from knowing what the secret was in the first place, if if there was something that she was trying to protect, she is now being blamed for all of it. And whether or not the words are there, the actions are demonstrating to her that she is wrong. She's done something wrong. There's something wrong with her. And that kind of goes back to like I was saying with with experiences come labels. Is that you know now that oh she has. Cut herself. She is now wrong. She can't come back from that wrong. Is what often that that heavy weight of those experiences giving us us labels, and it's just it it's sad to hear. It's sad to hear the the pain in both the parent as well as the child that they're both experiencing, and that it would be great to be able to to get them some some added supports in their life. Yeah, absolutely. And there are a lot of statistics around both in the U.S. and in Canada, with regards to the rate of self harm and suicide amongst adolescents. And I think it's going to be really important to share that with our listeners because from there we can talk about resources. My my takeaway from this letter, and there's just so much to dissect that. Unfortunately, we don't have time to go through everything. I just think it's a really big topic, and we may invite you back again sometime, Jessica Rose, just to you know talk more about this particular issue because I think, I mean, you're you're a stepmom,、uh, so you're you're a mother, you're a parent, and and Kathy, you're a parent. The two of you must worry a lot about. What's going to happen to your children as they get older? Are they going to meet the right people? Are they going to make the right decisions? Are they going to know how to love themselves? Just things like that. And so, when you hear topics like this, I imagine it must stir something up for you. For sure, as a parent,、um, you're constantly worrying, constantly. And I sent you this meme earlier today, and that's basically what really hits home for me. I'm going to read that out quickly. It's、um, Before I had kids, I never knew how much I could worry. 
but I also never knew how much I could love. So it's just, uh, you're constantly worrying because you love them so much, you know, and we can only protect them to a certain degree. So when I hear letters like this, it's just like, I feel for the parent. I, I probably would not know what to do either. I think I've definitely, I, I've told people this before, I've lucked out in a sense of being brought to the field of suicide prevention, where when it's a personal experience, I feel a lot more equipped and a lot more rational when handling it. And uh, I normally, most of my work is in the military and veteran community, but I've done interventions all over the place. And uh, I've done a few interventions for youth. And I thought, oh, youth was never like my 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 niche. And now lately, the more and more I, I deal with youth, like I said, coaching baseball, I realize like, wow, no, like the, the interventions look the same in a sense because it's all about the different pain. So everyone's experiencing pain in their in their own world. And sometimes what we as an adult look back on, I'm like, Psh, that's nothing. As a kid, it's their world. And I think that's something to keep in mind too is that who knows what's going on in this girl's life and that's been going on for two years and that it's it's building up and it may seem like small world problem. And I think a lot of times when it comes to validation, especially as adults, uh, we see like a, oh, things could be worse or, oh, you think that's bad or wait till you get older. This is just a kid problem. We use things like that thinking that it's helpful and it's really harmful because it's moving away from that validation that's needed. Yeah, I agree with that. It, it moves. Oh, not only does it move away from the validation, it moves closer towards the shame piece and the comparison piece, which is so dangerous in adolescence in general, because one of the tasks of adolescents is to establish their identity. They don't even know who they are. They're in this transition phase where they're trying to they're no longer children, but they're not adults. They need to make their own decisions, but nobody's letting them. So there's this dichotomy that's pushing and pulling them away from who they think they should be versus who they are trying to discover of themselves. Yeah. So now you have, there, there's just so much going on for them. And uh, I can't even imagine having to, to deal with that and not being validated in the process to have somebody say that what I'm going through is no big deal. That would just push me right over the edge. And, and you're right for two years, this, this girl has been struggling and it really sounds like the dad wants the very best Sorry, not the dad. The writer wants the very best for the daughter. And so I, you know, I think that it's one of those things for me as a takeaway, I would say that in my experience with dealing with people in general, when it comes to pain, just pain, simple, nothing else around it, but just that word and just that one dealing alone is to approach with radical, radical curiosity, go in and ask more questions, go deeper, deeper than go so deep that you would be afraid to hear the answers almost, because that's where the truth lies. And that's where the healing begins. I think it's normal for people to stay surface, you get to a point and I don't know if you two have experienced it, but I'll ask questions of somebody else. Oh my gosh, this is a very awkward situation. I kind of don't know if I want to dive into this right now. But then I'll start and then it gets to a point where I can feel myself feeling uncomfortable. And then I have to make a decision then and there. Do I go further or do I disconnect? Because those are the two choices. You can either disconnect and not ask any harder questions, or you can just go right in and ask some of the hardest questions because that's where the truth uh, lies. And that's where the trust begins to get established, especially 
in a parent-child relationship, I think. So that would be my takeaway, is to really sit down for this listener. I would say just to sit down with your daughter and, not this listener, this writer, sit down with your daughter, have a discussion around what the heck happened two years ago. What happened two years ago? What's been happening for the past two years? And what's going on for her right now? Because she still is a beautiful girl, right? The writer says she's a beautiful girl and now she has these tracks, which... You said people are constantly being labeled as their experiences. She's not her experience. She does need somebody to talk to. She does need somebody to trust. And she she needs to, we need to find out what's going on immediately so that moving forward, it's not considered defiant. If she's hurting, she's probably going to continue to hurt herself until she finds somebody who says, I see you, I hear you, there's nothing wrong with you. Let's figure this out together. And I hope to God that she does find somebody that is able to say that. And I hope to God that it's the writer. And you just use some pretty powerful language too, like that together aspect, right? Is that a lot of times when people are in pain, they're feeling alone. So even just saying, you know, I don't know what you've gone through. I I know you're in pain and I want to work together on helping you through this pain. That uh, that alone can be extremely, extremely helpful. And that's why we were, you know, we decided to do a podcast like this to be able to have our listeners hear different perspectives so that they don't feel alone. For sure. The number of self, uh, adolescents self-harming and, and going through suicide is massive. The statistics may not be that different in the United States and in Canada, but we do have some statistics um, right now from what I've seen. About 870,000 adolescents in Ontario were reported to self-harm between 2003 to 2017. That's almost a million adolescents, and that's in one province. That's not across Canada. That's just in one province. So you can imagine once you add all of that up, what we're dealing with in terms of seriousness around this issue. And do you have stats, Jessica Rose? Yes, in the in the United States, uh, so the United States as a whole, it's about one third of adolescents have engaged in some form of self harm, and most commonly is cutting. So uh, the the research article I read is about seventy to ninety percent of of reported self harm cases were cutting for adolescents. And here in the U.S., suicide is the second leading cause of death for ages ten to thirty four. Ten to thirty four. Oh 34. my God. Um, Wow. Uh, overall, wow. we lose about 132 people per day in the U.S. Uh, when you average it out for suicide, but overdoses are considered separate. So it's about 192 per day for overdoses, which overdoses get categorized as unintentional injury, which is the leading cause of death. So oh, it's, wow. it's huge. It's huge here. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot to say about that when people say it's unintentional. I mean, there's some need to sort of numb, numb there. So... It's not completely unintentional, but man, there's just, that's, that's an astounding number of people that are suffering. Well, as I sit here as a parent, just listening to this, like, I'm also learning at the same time. Do you know what I mean? It's teaching me to, uh, be proactive. And now I'm going to notice when he is in his adolescence, if this girl that's harming herself is in her adolescence, I know to look for the signs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So thank you guys. It's been helpful for me too. So my takeaway would be just, again, I said earlier was um, mirroring what you said is digging deeper. Yeah, for sure. 
Anything else that you want to add um, or uh, offer to our listeners, Jessica Rose? I think the the biggest thing that I I love to share all the time is talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. If we're not talking about it, uh, especially suicide, we are making it taboo. And just like here in the United States, you know, we, we want to pretend that teens aren't having sex before marriage. And if we preach abstinence, well, that's not working. We still have teen pregnancies. So if we're not talking about suicide, if we're not talking about brain health, if we're not talking about what's been going on in this young girl's life, then we're we're going to pretend like it doesn't exist. It's going to become taboo and people are going to turn to options that aren't healthy for them. For example, like this young girl is cutting because she's not able to to get what she needs to, to help heal what's really going on in her life. Oh my gosh, that is such a good point to make. Yeah, just because you don't talk about it, it doesn't mean it's not happening. And it doesn't mean that it's not creating some serious repercussions, right? So yes, thank you so much for that, Jessica Rose. Thank you for coming on as our guest speaker. And um Oh my gosh, so much goodness in this episode. Well, thank you so much for having me. I always appreciate being able to to have these conversations with people, whether it's someone who's never talked about behavioral health in their life or even professionals. It's it's always a joy for me. Thanks again for having, you know, found the time to, to do this with us. I really appreciate it. And sharing your expertise. I feel like I could just pick your brain all day. <laughs> but this too, this too, my friends, has has to come to an end and we're going to share some of the resources um, in our comments, in our bio um, or sorry, the write up, whatever you want to call it. Yes. The introduction to our episode. So we'll share some uh, resources in there. And until next time, parenting is raw. Parenting is awesome. It's rawsome. Thank Thanks you. for joining us. Bye. Bye. Bye.